is proclaimed to be the child of God is immediately followed by the story that Andy just read, where suddenly we find this child of God as a lonely itinerant rabbi by himself in the desert being tempted by so many things. Make the stones into bread. You know, there's a temptation. Use the power you have to make your life easier. That's what life is about. It's about taking care of yourself. You can have the biggest 4K screen in all of Nazareth. You know, you can do what you want. Center your life on that. That that will give you joy. That will give you a sense of who you are. Or grab political power. You know, the people are behind you. You know, you, you've seen in your first days of ministry how people are beginning to gather around you. Imagine what you could do. You could be the rebel Messiah that the Jewish people are waiting for. You could be the one to throw out Rome. You could stand there. You could take control. You know, why let Tiberius run everything when you can run it and do better than he ever thought of doing? Or finally, just live the miraculous. You know, jump off the top of the temple and live. You know, heal people. You'll have the biggest show on TV as you heal people and do miraculous things. That, that's what you want. That's what it's all about. Jesus was tempted. So many things he could do with his life. So much potential. And he didn't know exactly what to pick. And that's a very important point to remember. And that's why the story is put right at the beginning of those Gospels. You would think that the story of his baptism would be followed by something spectacular. You know, Jesus would stand up and give a great sermon right there on the spot with John over there standing in the river. Or you'd think he'd do some wonderful miracle and everyone would say, oh, this is the greatest person around. No, he was tempted. What this is really sounds rather discouraging, but it is the promise of temptation, the promise of trial, the promise even of error, you know, the promise that Life isn't always going to be easy. And that's where you have to begin. If you're going to follow the path of faith, as we're going to do with our little suitcase, following Christ through the world, if you're going to do that, you have to expect that things are not always going to be happy and pleasant and cheerful. There are going to be moments when you are in that wilderness alone, when you feel perhaps abandoned, when you can't see the way ahead. Be ready for it. But know that you will make it through. And that's why this story is so primary in the Gospels. Now, there's a tendency to forget that. Just put it aside. And many people, you know, they will say, well, I've met Jesus, I have a firm faith, Christ is with me, and I'm going to go into the future, and somehow they believe that therefore nothing really will happen to me. It happens to bad people. There's even a theology that's very great in the country south of us that says, you know, well, you know if you've been bad because you're suffering, and if you're a Christian, you'll never have to face that because, you know, God will just take care of everything. I see this in the what I call the literalistic churches. They call themselves fundamentalists. I think I'm a fundamentalist. They're literalists, and that's something completely different. But you see that in their whole view of the environment. They don't deny climate change. They simply said, we don't need to do anything. Because God will take care of it. You know, that, that will happen. God will refreeze the glaciers and everything will be good again and uh, that's just our faith. The problem is that if we decide this, we're going to meet that inevitability of problems. 
that we need to solve, of situations that are difficult, of moments when our lives do feel empty. We're going to find ourselves saying, well, where is this God who is going to take care of everything? God is there. We have to be ready to meet and to follow Christ wherever he goes. Even for those of us who have a faith that we, we do trust in, there are times when it seems to let us down. You know, you've all been in those positions when you feel, felt alone, when you felt that somehow life just wasn't fair and you couldn't understand why things were happening as they're happening. And people will come up to you, people from this congregation, your friends, and they'll say, well, don't worry, God is with you, your faith is strong, everything will be okay. And we hear that and we even agree with it. We said, yeah, you know, I guess you're right. And then, yep, we go back to worrying. You know, it's sort of, you know, I'm worrying. Remember you have faith? Yeah, I do have faith. That's good. God is here, but uh, I'm going to worry some more. I uh, remember my single Presbyterian teetotaling aunt who had on her shelf a bottle of whiskey. Now, I think it had actually come from her father, so it was probably a very good old whiskey. But, of course, she'd never touch it. But it was there for medicinal purposes. There was going to be a time when, medicinally, she would need this bottle of whiskey. Now, it was never used in all the years I knew her. She lived to be about 90. Uh, but it was there. And sometimes our faith is like that. You know, our faith is powerful and it's good. I'm not really sure when it's going to come into call, so I'll just keep worrying and leave, the, leave it on the shelf. Our ability to follow Christ, our ability to feel security in life that will allow us to go on with some sense of direction, is the fact that we take ourselves and we tie us to something that's important. Tie us to something that has meaning. Tie us to something that will stabilize us in those days when the ship doesn't seem to have stabilizers, who will, which will help us to sense that we are secure even though the winds howl and the storm breaks. One of those key items that we can tie ourselves to that's always there that simple word, love. It's overused, it's trivialized, it often becomes no more than pleasant thoughts and prayers on Facebook, but it is powerful, and it is the center of Jesus' message. Know it, seek it, live it. There are people around you. Allow them to come into your life in those times of loneliness and crisis and comfort you. And, and the, the sad, the often very frustrating thing, and we all do it, is that when we get into those times of crisis and trouble, our first instinct says to be, no, no, I can take care of this. I can do it. Just don't bother me. You're there on the floor with the Ikea kitchen you just bought for your grandson in London trying to put together this kitchen. And... It's not as easy as it looks. I don't know what a number A screw is, and they go in the side. The picture's unclear. I'm not sure. And somebody comes in and says, can I help you? No, no, I just leave me alone. I, I'm, I'm doing this. I can... No, allow people in. It is not weakness. We are made for community. That is the central message of worship on Sunday morning. It isn't that we can sing hymns together or listen to Bible readings or sermons or even attend annual meetings. It's because we realize, we recognize every person here, I need the people around me to whom I wished peace earlier. I need that peace from them when I face temptation and loss 
and sadness. Allow those people in. About almost a year ago today, a very close friend of mine committed suicide. I remember attending what was a very big funeral. And the common theme that went with everyone I spoke to at that time was, you know, if only he'd allowed us into his life. You know, we would all ask him, you know, do you want to come out for coffee? Let's, let's get together. You know, we should. I know you're having trouble here. No, I'm just fine, you know. My friends, before you come to a point in life where you do feel you're falling apart and you aren't secure, reach out and tie yourself to somebody, to some group. Allow them to know you. It may just mean you talk. They may not have the world's greatest advice, but you know, just talking, just being with other people can change perspective. Now, of course, many of us would say, I, well, I don't really know, you know, I'm with people who are in need, you know, how to help them. You know, do I give them a cup of coffee? What, what do they want? And for this, I turn to the great philosopher A. Milne. It occurred to Pooh and Piglet that they hadn't heard from Eeyore for several days. So they put on their hats and coats and trotted across the hundred-acre wood to Eeyore's stick house. Inside was Eeyore. Hello, Eeyore, said Pooh. Hello, Pooh. Hello, Piglet, said Eeyore in a glum-sounding voice. We just thought we'd check in on you, said Piglet, because we hadn't heard from you, and so we wanted to know if you were okay. Eeyore was silent for a moment. Well, I don't know. To be honest, are any of us really okay? That's what I ask myself. All I can tell you, Pooh and Piglet, is that right now I feel rather sad and alone and not much fun to be around at all, which is why I haven't bothered you, because you wouldn't want to waste your time hanging out with someone who is sad and alone and not much fun to be around at all, would you now? Pooh looked at Piglet. Piglet looked at Pooh. And they both sat down on either side of Eeyore in his stick house. Eeyore looked at them in surprise. What are you doing? We're sitting here with you, said Pooh, because we are your friends. And true friends don't care if someone is feeling sad or alone or not much fun to be around at all. True friends are there for you always. So here we are. Oh, said Eeyore. Oh. And the three of them sat there in silence. And while Pooh and Piglet said nothing at all, somehow, almost imperceptibly, Eeyore started to feel a very tiny little bit better because Pooh and Piglet were there. No more, no less. If Pooh and Piglet come to your house, let them in. They may not have great wisdom, but they're there. It's where love is. It's what we anchor ourselves to. And whenever we can be there, let us be there as the people of Christ. But beyond the support we know from others and can give to others, there is another factor in that love that is far greater, far stronger, and far more difficult to grasp. And that is that I believe, and I believe firmly, that there is a love, a purpose towards something 
which is in the very unraveling of the universe, that we are in a place where justice is at the heart of what happens to things, that love is there, that we're made to be and to work together in some large way. The early 20th century writer G.K. Chesterton said, at the back of our brains there is a forgotten blaze or burst of astonishment at our own existence. The object of the artistic and spiritual life is to dig for this submerged sunrise of wonder. That's why we come to church on Sunday morning. We're a part of a community and buried in us as individuals and as a community is that submerged sunrise of wonder. As you go out this week, look for it. Look for those moments when things come together. Look for those moments when suddenly solutions happen that you never expected. Look for those moments when somebody does come in to you and say, would you like a cup of coffee to feel better? And think, wow, isn't it amazing the world works in this way? And to broaden that, I would remind you in closing that our faith is a faith based on history. That's why we read from scripture. That's why we read from things that are current, but things that speak about the big problems of life. Most other faiths, or many other faiths certainly, are based on a philosophy, an idea. This is, I think, how the world is going to be, so let's do it. Christianity and Judaism have been based on an experience of people of faith throughout the years who have felt they were alone in the desert and unable to choose properly, who have felt that life was overwhelming, who have felt that they were being somehow drowned in sadness and pain and loss. But those people were anchored to the love that lies at the heart of all things, anchored to the community around them, anchored to a vision of what that world is. And in being so anchored, they survived. I would just make a suggestion as I close. Uh, we're all reading books, I'm sure, in one way or another all the time. Every once in a while, pick a book that talks about people of great faith living through the ages. Now, I'm going to warn you, yes, I'll make enemies with this, but that's the way it goes. Not an inspirational, happy, happy book. Like, you know, I came to believe, and now I'm really happy. Good. If you feel that, I'm not, <laughs> you're, you're good. But I mean, the lives of real people who have faced real dilemmas, real situations, real persecution. And see how those people, often feeling beaten, often being literally beaten, have risen up, tied themselves to the love of community, to the love of God, and have thrived and known life that's full and powerful. Because that's where our life is, moment by moment. We face temptations, this or that, here or there. And moment by moment, we are called to tie ourselves to the love of those around us, to the love of God, to the great story of faith in the world that is our story and that has throughout the years sustained and strengthened the people of the world. So today, we'll begin our journey. We're going to pack away a rope so that as we journey, we'll remember that we need to be tied to something bigger than ourselves, more powerful than who we are, more sustaining than platitudes and simple thoughts of faith.
something that gives us a stability and security through our lives. For this, give thanks to God. Amen.